Thanks for listening to Aqua Talk, where we discuss our role as aquatics professionals and advocate about the importance of water safety. Hey guys, welcome back to Aqua Talk. Today we have one of my closest friends on, Rebecca Cassidy. She has been in aquatics on and off for about seven years now, and we spoke about solo guarding, guarding a pool uh, by yourself without a team physically around you, and how different it is to adapt to and the different precautions that you need to take and the and with emergencies and with patrons. Um, and we had some really great conversations. So I am very, very excited for you guys to hear this episode. And yeah, please subscribe, uh, share, and like this podcast. Send me a message about what you think and yeah, let's jump right in. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for coming on today. Hi, Paige. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So for all you listeners, what you don't know is that me and Rebecca go back a long time. Too far. <laughs> How long is it? We were in grade four, so we were about nine, so about 14 years. Oh my goodness. But to be fair, we've only been friends for seven or eight. Seven or eight, yeah. That's yeah. still a long time. <laughs> that's that still is, a long time. That's a long time. You'll never get rid of me. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so, and then... The funny part is, we started becoming friends when we started working in aquatics together. So this industry brought us together. Despite, despite a rocky beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So yeah, let's just jump into it. Um, so today's podcast is going to be more about solo guarding. Yeah. Okay, but before we get into that, let me ask, what's your background in aquatics? So I have been in aquatics in a couple different roles in and out since I was 16. So for about the last seven years, um, I started out as a lifeguard with a city. And so I worked at a big pool for a city. And then I also lifeguarded at a summer camp on a lake. So I did that for a while. And then I worked at a university pool, which was another different type of pool to work at. And then I worked uh, for a private company at a class B pool and then kind of evolved out of lifeguarding and into more of the management aspect of lifeguards, which is where I'm at now. That's awesome. So did you just guard or did you also teach lessons? So I started out actually teaching lessons um, when I worked for a city and then, and the university. And then my camp experiences and um, my solo guarding experiences were as just a, a guard. Cool. Before we get into the specifics of it, tell me, why did you choose aquatics 
as your profession right now? And what are you most passionate about in our industry? And I know you're in school for education. Mm -hmm. So how this industry is going to help you further. So there's a lot of questions. We'll just kind of back up to the first question. Why did I choose aquatics? I don't know if I necessarily chose aquatics as it was kind of forced (laughs) on me by my mother. She was like, Rebecca, you have to do this. You're going to be a lifeguard. You're going to get a good job. When you start, all your friends will be working at McDonald's and you'll be a lifeguard. That is literally why I'm in this industry too. So that's kind of how it started. And then farther along, I got in the courses, the more I genuinely wanted to be a lifeguard, um, which was really exciting for me. And in terms of passion, I think the most important thing to me is just the education aspect of it, which is, wow, shocking coming from an education student. But I think I've always been, (laughs) it's true, I think I've always been a teacher despite me leaving high school saying, I'm never going to come back here, fast forward six years, I'm going to be a high school teacher. Um, (laughs) Who would have thought? Anyways, so when I started working for um, the city, I started teaching lessons and that kind of again, fast forward to where I am now, built the foundation um, for me there, but it also made me passionate about teaching water safety and just making sure kids know how to handle themselves in the water. That that life-saving society, swim to survive, is really, really important to me, and I really, I push it. I really am kind of pushy. Um, a little side note, uh, the other day I was at a pool, and I watched this lady with her two small children plop them in the water in not even regulation uh, life jackets, those kind of water wing life jackets. And then she walked out of the pool and sat on the stairs. And oh I my God. was shook. Like, genuinely, I was like, how can somebody just do this? So me, having a big mouth, said something to her. She didn't particularly like it, but I couldn't I couldn't believe that somebody would do it. And, and I apologized. No, I wasn't working, and I, I, I apologized after because I did sound a little rude, but I just said to her, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your role is, I just, I can't stand by and watch kids be unsafe in the water. And so, I kind of educated the mom. She didn't leave. She didn't leave. She did watch her kids from the side of the pool the rest of the day. She should have been in the water, but it was something. And I think that's that's so important and that's why I do this is that we need to educate people about what could happen right and this mom probably genuinely didn't think about it definitely didn't and she got mad at me questioning her parenting skills and it wasn't even that my told my sister told me keep your mouth shut don't say anything but if anybody knows me they know that's not gonna happen so I (laughs) (laughs) so I did she watched her kids we call that a win. Um, oh, we do call that a win. Thank you. Those were really good answers. The uh, next question, kind of to um, add on to that a little bit, how is this industry going to help you with your education profession? So I think being an instructor really helped me get the foundation for planning and building a lesson that makes sense. That teaches a progression, which is really, really important and something we learn in the education uh, field and it's something I'm like psh, psh, I've been doing this since I was 16 years old 
And I think that aspect of it has been really, really helpful going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of safety and, like, aquatics, I think that it, it makes me very, very aware of these kids that I'm working with, whether or not they have any sort of experience in that. And I was recently placed in an elementary school for my uh, placement, and one of my first questions when they sent me to the administrators for the day was, so do you guys do any sort of swimming lessons with your kids? Because a lot of them have backyard pools, have friends with backyard pools, and I'm just genuinely curious if these kids are being offered this opportunity and the place I was in was a little bit disadvantaged financially for the most part um so I was hoping that the school did offer something like that um to really promote water safety within their school I was also in Nova Scotia so they are surrounded by lakes and the ocean so again something that's important um to me and I made it known to them and coincidentally the principal at that school was also a former lifeguard and he's like absolutely we do these with our kids every may like we make sure um the grade three to fours do it they do it for two years they go through the lessons that's amazing um, and they do the swim to survive standard which i thought was awesome and really happy because if he said no i would have pushed it (laughs) (laughs) and that's okay i i think it's so important too that schools promote it and try to educate the students as well as the parents on why they are doing this and why it's so important for schools to have these initiatives. And the awesome thing about schools doing this for kids is because they're doing it in such um, large groups, there's always a discount offered by any facility who's going to offer it. It's going to make these lessons affordable and accessible so parents don't have to commit to coming in um, to facilities after school, Mm -hmm. after work and doing it. It's something that can be taught in school as part of their education and it's again teaching beyond the curriculum teaching them life skills so we teach them how to manage time why aren't we teaching them how to tread water or move through water or do a back float so they can breathe and call for help anything um i think is really really important and i'm really happy that schools do offer it and still are continuing to offer it Mm -hmm. um but it's something i will definitely be promoting in the future Whatever school I end up working at, it will be on the principal store. Hey, sir, do we uh, do we offer swimming lessons to students? Because we definitely sure do. Um, <laughs> that's, again, that's just me. It's it's uh, I'm not afraid to push uh, to make sure kids are safe, especially around water, because it's it's such a dangerous thing, and nobody should be scared to go to beach day because they don't know how to swim. And no one should be peer pressured. Should feel peer pressured. To go in that water, even though they don't know how to swim. But awesome. Thank you for that. Now to segue a little bit into what you do now as the scheduling manager at Superior Pools. Superior is a Class E pool company that um, mostly just lifeguards. And um, there's only solo guards. So can you talk a little bit about what solo guarding is? Yeah, so Superior Pool offers lifeguarding services as one of their many services. We are a full-service pool company, and um, I'm in charge of essentially scheduling and managing the lifeguards. Um, Most of our facilities, because they're Class B, um, are solo guarded. So we do have a few that are double guarded, but 90% of our facilities are solo guarded. 
and that is a lot different from what a lot of our guards have as past experience or if they have any experience at all and it can be a, um, an intimidating and deciding factor on whether or not they take a job with us so solo guarding is when you are the solo or only lifeguard on site at a, a pool um, you're essentially responsible for running the entire facility that kind of goes into a bigger job description. So you're a lifeguard, you provide customer service, you do pool operations, so the daily pool operations, you're in charge of chemicals and, and cleaning and the general day-to-day uh, -day maintenance of the filter and the system. Now, do you provide on-site training with all of your guards? Yeah, so our guards receive on their first day or whenever we can get them in before that, um, a training on how to essentially operate a pool. Um, we don't train them on their lifeguarding. That's the exhortation is they know, we talk about it. It's evident that they know how to lifeguard. With us as a solo guard, they're always, they always come in very confident as lifeguards, but the other half of the job is what um, is kind of the, the new thing that they're learning. So they'll learn how to backwash a filter, how to rinse a filter, how to vacuum a pool. Um, and a lot of it's a lot more complicated than you think, but not difficult to learn. Um, so it's really easy once you know how to backwash a filter, but the idea of it seems pretty intimidating. Right, yeah. So with that, you're also in charge of adding chemicals. So we do limits training with all of our lifeguards and make sure they know how to safely handle chemicals. They're using their PPE. A lot of times they're just handling like chlorine and uric acid and um, they learn how to safely and uh, appropriately add these chemicals to pools to maintain health regulation standards in terms of how many parts per million of chlorine there is, how yeah. high the pH is, all of what you learn in your NL becomes useful in this role and a lot of it's that stuff that they don't pay attention to all the time yeah they don't and really it's such know. a small part in nl too because nl you're focusing on the physicals and the situations it's one little lesson plan about the operations side yeah. of the facility and that's half of my guard's job is to operate the pool um and i wish i really do wish that they got a chance to backwash a filter to like turn off a pump Turn on to backwash and see how to actually backwash your filter. Because let me tell you, the first time you turn that filter off, you're like, okay, it's off. And then you turn the <laughs> dial to backwash. And then you turn it back on and it makes all these strange rattling water noises. And you're like, oh my god, is it broken? <laughs> That's so funny. You don't know how many times I get phone calls saying, so I turned it back on. It's making loud noises. Is this okay? And I'm like, yes, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be loud. It's fine. <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's a different side. They don't show you how to vacuum a pool and, and the skimmer baskets and the equalizers and all of these parts that make a pool work that they don't talk about in NL. But a lot of lifeguards are going to end up at either a company like Superior or another company that does solo guarding. Um, or that you're your own operations staff at that pool. Exactly. Um, and it's something that they feel really intimidated by, they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel confident. So in. do you have support systems uh, for them to call, say, oh, I don't have enough chlorine, I need more, or, oh, I, I really don't know how to do this, can someone come and help me, 
or uh, those kinds of support systems. Yeah, so we have supervisors who are out on the road every day who are trying their best to get everybody supported and looked after. They'll call and they'll check in on guards. Guards can um, call them or text them and ask them questions. Um, they call me all the time. They call me all the time. And I get pretty good. <laughs> hey, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. They call me all the time, but I get really good at being able to walk them through the processing of backwashing right. a filter without actually being there. So I'll help them with some stuff. Um, we'll make sure that their pools are fully stocked with chemicals. Um, all of these things are part of my job. Um, and I do my best to support all of the lifeguards because I used to work as a lifeguard for the company, um, solo guarding. So I know what it's like to be in a situation where you're like, I'm low on chemicals. What do I do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I try to be as supportive as I possibly can because I was, I was them once. And I know that while you're alone at the site as the only lifeguard, I never want them to feel unsupported because as a lifeguard, you rely on a team. Yeah. And um, when and you're solo guarding. it's a totally different experience yeah. as and, a solo guard. And when you're solo guarding, your team is there, but not physically present. Right. So a lot of these guards have supervisors. No matter no matter what company you work for, you're going to have a supervisor who you can call. You may have somebody like me who, who schedules you guys and manages you guys. And you can always call them and ask them for questions or ask them, sorry, questions. And they're more than happy to help you all the time because they were probably you once and nothing is scarier than being alone. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So now, as we know, lifeguarding is a big responsibility mm-hmm. because we are trained to deal with PR mm-hmm. as well as life and death emergencies. Mm-hmm. So... This is kind of a two-part question. Okay. One is, how do you handle an emergency situation as a solo guard with patrons around and without patrons as, around, mm-hmm. as well as what is a solo guard's process when dealing with difficult situations and figuring out what the next step is? Okay. So, as a solo guard, you're the only one there. And again... It's intimidating. When you're solo guarding, you do have a max capacity that is a lot less than any sort of city pool. Most mm-hmm. pools cap their capacity at 25. So already you're starting with a smaller pool of patrons, which makes it easier on the guard because they can only have maximum 25 people in the pool. It's not an unreasonable amount of people to guard. So that's right. the first kind of thing you got to know. Another part is, again, that huge part we talk about all the time is prevention, prevention, prevention. We never want these things to happen in the first place. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Right. And like preventing accidents as a solo guard. So when you're a solo guard, you're probably working at a class B pool. You're probably a regular lifeguard at that pool. So the best advice I can give to a solo guard for prevention, prevention, sorry, is to get to know the people at your pool. It's so, so important. Right. You're going to be there every day, three days a week, four days a week. You get to know the people and their swimming abilities. The pool rats. Exactly. The regulars. The regular, degular, schmegulars. Every pool has them, no matter where you are. There's always that person. And I'm that person at my dad's pool. Like, I'm the person who hangs out there on my day off, just enjoys it. 
but it's the kids you want to watch. It's right. It's those kids, those gutter grabbers, like we like to call them, the kids who grab the edge of the wall and skirt themselves towards the deep end. They do their monkey walk. Mm-hmm. They know <laughs> they can't swim, but they're going to push you and see if you notice that they're getting there mm-hmm. and that they're not going to be able to make it. Yeah. So it's hugely responsible because you get to know those kids. You know that those kids are going to do that and you can prevent them from either doing it or getting too close. Um, just knowing kids who are weak swimmers, oh, hey, buddy, Betty, stop, stop, you're getting too close to the deep end, back up, back up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, like, getting to know them, getting to know the parents and getting comfortable, like, speaking to them about their supervising. If they're not supervising, you're not a babysitter, you're not there to babysit as a solo guard. Yeah. You need to make sure that these parents are watching their kids, and that's the first thing you should do, because emergencies should never happen if we're doing our jobs properly. Although, again, always, always there is accidents that you can't prevent. Um, like, you can't really prevent a heart attack as a lifeguard, right? Awkward, but it's true. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's true. Um, so yeah. dealing with an emergency as a solo guard can feel very over- overwhelming because in your NL, you're trained mm-hmm. to have your team. You're like, this guard goes here, this guard goes here, this, this person does that. Yeah. But at the end of the day... It's all you, honey. You the star of the show. Um, so it's really important to remember, and I do this in interviews, and guards are like, I don't know what to do. Am I the only guard? And I'm like, yes, you are. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, use your bystanders. It's so important to use your bystanders. Gotta bronze cross it up a little bit. Exactly. You gotta bring <laughs> it back to the roots. You use your bystander. You send somebody who's smart and competent to go call 911. You can send a little kid, a little kid who's hovering. They want to help. Send them to go meet the ambulance. Maybe you're guarding at a, an apartment building or a condo, and they the ambulance isn't necessarily going to know where the pool is. Yep. Have somebody go out there and show them where the pool is. Yeah. Um, use people who look strong enough to help you board. You just take that like classic guard one uh, role, and you tell them how to do it. Delegation, exactly. communication. Yeah. Exactly. It's hugely important to the uh, like the success of a large rescue. Or a, a major rescue as a solo guard. Um, there's always that one lady at the end of the day, or that one that one guy at the end of the day who comes down and will swim to the very, very end of the day. Um, and, again, an accident could always happen. So you need to be prepared to be able to deal with a situation where it's just you and the victim. So maybe you don't have somebody to call 911. How is that something you can deal with? And... I'm not going to take credit because, again, this wasn't my idea. I thought of it, but I thought better of myself. I was, interview- <laughs> I was. I was interviewing a lifeguard, and I asked them this question, and they had the best idea for dealing with a 911 call because on one end, you want to get to the victim as soon as possible, but on the other right. end, you've got to call for help. Like, you're the only person there. It's just you and, and old lady Betty at the pool. They're, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. So... All of these pools illegally have to have an emergency phone for you to be able to open it. Mm-hmm. Pick up that phone, dial 911, put it on the ground, let the cord hang from the phone, whoever, and go do that rescue. And the whole time, yell to the phone. Yell to the phone. Because the phone isn't going to be super close to the pool, but it will be within the enclosure. Start yelling, hi, my name is Rebecca. I'm at this location. I have this kind of victim. I need somebody to come help. I'm all alone. I can't come to the phone right now. Just keep repeating it, keep repeating it, because they know it's an emergency, and they'll come, right? They'll know you can't get to the phone right now, Um, don't leave a message, just show up. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that was, like, for me, in that moment, the guard told me that, and I was like, what an idea. So, That's so cool. Right? Yeah. Um, which is why I love interviewing all these guards. I get to hear so many different cool, cool situational um, scenarios. But do that. Hop in. Help them the best you can. Um, I always ask them about a spinal because it's kind of the most complex thing. And we'll go through spinals. And what do you do if it's just you and Betty and Betty has a spinal? Right. Is she breathing? If she's not, if she's breathing, sorry, leave her in the water. Hold her in the water. EMS will come. They're obviously not going to leave you and the and Betty in the water. They're going to come help you and get you out. They're going to be fully dressed. It's going to be an unfortunate event, but they're going to help. Right? Um, because I mean, they probably won't go in the water, but at least they can bring you the spinal board so you can put the board. Yeah, if you're gonna if board. you're gonna yeah. do the beaver tail, they'll help you from yeah. the edge. But like again, worst case scenario, somebody's getting in the water. Those those paramedics are not going to stand there and look at you and be like, so uh, how are we getting them out, right? Actually, so, technically, a little bit off topic here. Um, do you know the changes that's going on in the emergency medical care system right now? No, I do not. They're saying boarding is not as effective as it used to be. They're saying that... Um, Obviously, if someone's not breathing, just get them out, forget the board. Yeah. But they used to, so if you had someone boarded, they used to take the board. With them? With them, and okay. then bring it back the next day. Okay. They now will transfer your victim to their gurney because they're saying spinal boards are not as good for the spine as they used to be. In terms of effective immobilization and respiration, so... um Basically, that you will never be able to get effective immobilization when transporting a victim from point A to point B, as well as a spinal board could potentially compromise their breathing. So I think they're making that um, change in the emergency medical care system, as well as uh, as well as in the lifeguarding system in years to come. Mm-hmm. That would be very interesting to see how that plays out in a, in an hour course. I mean, I haven't read the full statistics on it, but that's yeah. what I know. Because the spinal boards are pretty much like one size fits all, where if you're looking for something that's more supportive, you'd have to have so many different sizes. Like, you know, if they wanted to have an arch in the back to support the natural curvature of the spine or whatever, you know what I mean? I don't, I think, but I think they're moving away from boarding as a whole. I know it's different. Okay. But I want I'm I'm curious to read the stats on that and why that's happening. Well, anyways, I'm excited to see what is new and improved coming out in our industry. <laughs> anyways, I digress. But it as a solo guard, you have to be really innovative and fast thinking and um how can I do this in the lowest risk rescue possible how 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 do I protect myself first if it's a dangerous situation like um there might be situations with customers patrons and it's just you and the patron and if you feel uncomfortable or unsafe, you call how, the police. Call the police if you feel <laughs> unsafe. Um, how, how do you coach your guards through that? Or 
what kind of training do you provide for that? So we we do dry training with our, our guards and we talk to them about situations and we talk to them about their role as customer service providers um, at these facilities. And it's kind of, we give them situations that we know about, but you can't always predict what's going to happen. So one day I was at a facility, um, back when I was a guard, and I had a guy come by with his um, uh, leftover drug paraphernalia, okay? <laughs> and that's the best way I can put it for you right now. And he was throwing it into the garbage can. Oh at the pool and it was creating a huge stink and there was um a smell and it was really bothering a lot of the patrons at the pool and I saw him doing it one day and I asked him not to do it. I said, sorry sir, this is the pool for the the garbage sorry for the pool. You can't be putting um weed dirty bong water essentially yeah. is what I told him <laughs> into the garbage. And he didn't particularly like that. Um, and he started screaming at me and yelling threats and telling me uh, he better not catch me alone in the pool because he'll be coming for me essentially. And so I called cops. So it's always really important because you never know how somebody's going to react to something or how a situation can escalate. But always know that you can always call the cops and nobody will ever blame you. Nobody will ever make you feel bad for doing it. You are alone there, right? So you need to feel safe first and foremost. And so- and what are the next steps, like, calling you as the scheduling manager, yeah. calling who? Like, So, in those situations, you always need to report um, the incident. Right. So, we have a logbook that they record the incident and get all the witness information that you can. Um, mm-hmm. Because not only are we going to ask for that as a company, but also the police, if you do call the police. Um, it's just record every incident that happens so you protect yourself. Um, you get witnesses, so again, it's you protect yourself, and it's less like that idea of hearsay. Right. He said, she said. Um, so whatever it is, it's just whenever you're dealing with a customer, make sure you're calm, cool, collected. Always be apologetic because at the end of the day, most people just want you to apologize, um, and and let them know that they'll do your best to mm-hmm. give whatever it is they want. Um, again, whether or not you can actually help them, just. Yeah, reassure them the best you can. Escalate or escalate, sorry. Um, <laughs> escalator. Yeah. Escalate the fight or the screaming match. Or stay calm, cool, collected. When you're dealing with that, though, you're not yeah. guarding. And exactly. So that creates another problem. So this is something we always explain to our guards because once you're not doing your job, Actively guarding, efficiently watching the people in the pool. pool. Yes. So everything becomes a major as a solo guard. Exactly. Exactly. Um, A lot of the times you just hand a kid a band-aid and they can put the band-aid on themselves. Stuff like that is kind of the most common injuries that happen at those times of pools. Um, But if you're dealing with a customer service issue and you're no longer guarding the pool, you do have to clear the pool. Um, This is a good and bad thing because it may escalate the situation for the person. But a lot of the times, it will have that social effect. Everybody in the pool now has to get out of the pool. And you have to guard the pool until they're all out. Yeah. but you're So yeah. you're trying to argue with this person who's arguing in your ear. You're watching the pool. But now you have to like actually engage them and not just listen to them from the side. Maybe the way you're talking to them, again, not looking at them directly because you're watching the pool, pisses them off. 
or makes them feel uncomfortable. Right. Um, and so you now have to clear the pool. So the pool's getting cleared, and these patrons are asking, well, why are we getting out of the water? Why do I have to get out of the water? You explain to them, I'm really sorry. I do have to deal um, with this customer here. Right. Um, and unfortunately, I'm not guarding the pool, so therefore you guys can't be swimming if I'm not actively guarding. Mm-hmm. That there then creates a great tool for you to use, because now all of these people who are angry and irritated, they're going to start blaming the customer, other customer that you were trying to deal with, and he may just lose. It may make things worse. Again, always call, like, if you ever feel threatened or uncomfortable, call the police first, obviously. Um, write an accident report, right. get witness statements, and then always report it to whoever you work for. But you can always, not always, but situations like that can usually be de-escalated. For sure. Back to the customer service um, point that you were trying to make was that I always tell my staff, to use the acronym taking the heat. So you're hearing the concern, you're empathizing with them, mm-hmm. you're apologizing to them, mm-hmm. and then you're taking action For sure. on whatever you can do. And sometimes taking action is, um, you can't do anything about it, is I'm so sorry, right now I am guarding the pool, mm-hmm. but... At a later point or tomorrow, I will make sure I have this out for you for when you come. Mm-hmm. I can't leave my stand. Or whatever that might be. Like, taking action might not be right now, but it's doing whatever you can to um, de-escalate the situation or make that person happy. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the times when, when the police are involved or anything like that, it's, it's not necessarily... Um, something's wrong and they want you to fix it it's Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's people not following the rules so maybe these guys are jumping and fighting and like grabbing on each other's necks you've asked them multiple times to stop obviously you can't let that go on because again you're trying to prevent accidents so you have the authority asking them to leave the pool right Mm -hmm. and they may not want to and that's when they need to leave the pool They, they cannot be doing that in the pool you've asked them what maybe two or three times they need to leave. They won't leave. You you have you tell them you're gonna call the cops because, because they're now, now trespassing. They're trespassing. Because yeah. while they may live there, it may be they may have a rental unit there. The pool is the property owned by the company who runs the building, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. they don't have the right to be there. They have the privilege of being there until they're asked to leave. So that's always important as a guard to remember is you always have the ability to ask somebody to leave and tell them that they are no longer welcome. They're going to throw the, but I live here, you can't tell me what to do card into your face, but you have every right to ask them to leave for not following the rules. I've, I've done that no. even in class A pools. 100%. I've done that even as a guard team. I told kids to go home, try again tomorrow. <laughs> right? See if I've, we can change our behavior for tomorrow. Yeah. And I've kicked them out. I've suspended people for a whole summer at a pool. Right? So... You can always, obviously you don't want to do that. Your your job as a guard is not to take away the fun, but it's to keep people safe. Exactly. And, and if keeping people safe is saying, hey, you need to go home, you're being too silly, or if you're talking aggressive. to kids, or aggressive, or whatever, you can, you are welcome to come back tomorrow, but for the rest of the day, you are not welcome here. Exactly. And then if they come back and they and they still can't behave in a in a proper manner, then 
do what there. you need to do. Exactly. Maybe it's a week this time. Maybe it's you're not welcome back here. Maybe it's let's really talk about your behavior and see why you're doing this. I'm like bringing all the teacher fun things in there. Um, but uh, I don't think as lifeguards we go as far as that. But, but you're educating them on being <laughs> right, water safe, exactly. right? So yeah. So it's kind of education-ish in there. But, you know, you pull up the teacher voice and be like, <laughs> I don't think you're making very good choices. It's always a good line. Telling them they're making not good choices. <laughs> Like and we're obviously <laughs> speaking right now as if we're speaking to kids. Exactly. But obviously there are adults who oh. who are who are the poor rats mm-hmm. causing the issues. And they're causing the issues, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so um last few questions for okay. you, Rebecca. Perfect. So in your opinion, being in the aquatics industry for about seven years now. What more can we do in our community to prevent drownings and advocate about water safety? I think this is like hugely important and we can tie this into solo learning 100%. You see kids at the pool who are struggling to swim. You can encourage them to take lessons. Encourage them to go out and learn. Talk to the parents. Say, hey, I noticed Johnny isn't doing so well in the water. A really good idea would be to get in the swimming lessons. He could learn how to kick. He could learn how to move himself through the water. Just those fundamental things that parents can encourage their kids to do is really, really important. Um, when I started solo guarding, I was just kind of fresh off being an instructor and still had that, like, will to teach. So I would stand at the side of the pool when there was a couple of kids in the water, <laughs> and I would, like, kind of, like, guide them through. Oh, yeah, yeah, kick your legs straighter. Yeah. Straighter, point your toes but relax your knees and then kids would pick that up and then it encourages them. It gives them that kind of thirst for like knowledge. Essentially it makes them want to learn more like, Oh, well I got this much better this summer. I wonder if I could get even more better. Yeah. Even more better is not properly grammatically correct. But teacher says even more better. The point is clear. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I feel so rewarding when you're able to help that child and maybe they weren't comfortable in the deep end before, but you know, you're always, they're always there and now they are comfortable in the deep end. Well, again, at these like pools where you have your regulars, you'll see kids, kids will want to try sometimes as the deep end test, sorry. And they'll want to try the deep end test and just to watch them be in the water all summer and really, really make their goal. There's so many kids whose goal is to pass that deep end test yeah, to be able to swim in the deep end. It's, like, the best feeling when after, like, six weeks, there's only two weeks left, but there's six weeks, they, like, struggle and struggle to do this deep end And test. you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, Every no, day. no. Exactly. And then that one day you're, like, you pass. And the kid's, like, ah, ah, they're, like, losing their mind with their happiness. Yeah. And I'm just, like, my whole heart is just, like, so <laughs> happy right now. And um, it's such a big accomplishment to them. And we can't. We can't throw that away. Like, it's huge. No. And I think, like, getting parents to realize, like, the progress that they made and the fact that they can make even more progress. Mm -hmm. I'm, like, a huge, like, pusher of swimming lessons. And I push a lot of kids at people, I guess. But I push push, um, lessons on essentially anybody that I can. Um, Of course. I, I say, yeah, you could take lessons and you could learn this and this and this and this. And I've done both the Red Cross and the Life Saving Society program, so they'll ask me questions about both and I'll 
I'll let them know and they'll ask me, well, what, well, what level should I be in? And I'll say, well, can you float? And they'll show me they can float. I'm like, okay, then you could probably do level two because you can do these kinds of things. You know what I mean? Like I do like, I'll do like an assessment with them because there's no, absolutely no harm in me watching. So they have a better idea because it's a lot more intimidating for a parent to just be like, here, my kid can kind of swim and go in rather than having somebody who knows what they're talking and about. And half the time the parents don't even know. They oh, no, say, they uh, I think they can float. I think they can kick on their front so without a floaty. I think they can. Yeah, sure. Why not? Right? Um, and that's so important that there's there's so many different programs, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Life Saving Society offers a different program than the Red Cross, but it's still all water safety. There's exactly. private programs as well. Any any swim program to put your kids in is better than is nothing. Better than nothing. But I think a huge thing is, like, getting an idea of where their kid is, for their parents at least. Right. Gives them the confidence and the motivation to go do something. Because rather than saying, oh, yeah, you should take swimming lessons, and the parents are like, well, I don't know where to start, so I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Then being like, no, your kid can do, okay, you're going to go to this place? Okay, do they offer Red Cross or Life Saving Society or whatever? And then you say... And how, the parents don't even care about that. But for you, as... As someone who's taught bro- both programs, you know, I'm going to do a level assessment this way. Oh, you're going to go to whatever, the town instead of the city. Oh, mm-hmm. I know they do whatever, Red Cross here. I know they do Life Saving Society here. Which one are you enrolling them in? I can tell you what level to put them in. And exactly. and not everyone, we're not saying that you have to do that, but it's it's a, it's a luxury. It really is. And I think every kid deserves to learn how to swim. Because we talked about it earlier, the peer pressure. When you get older, your friends all want to go to the pool. Maybe your friend has a pool. You don't want to be the person there who's uncomfortable. So I don't know. Maybe people listen to this podcast who are like 13 or 14. If you don't know how to swim, go out. There's adult classes you can take. It's Mm -hmm. never, ever too late. You're never too old to learn how to swim. If you're 13 or 14, your friend has a pool, you want to learn how to swim, heck, go to the go to the city, go to a town. There's adult lessons there. Maybe you're with a bunch yeah. of 75-year-olds, but hey, you'd be the coolest cat in the pool. There's also places that offer teen lessons. Is there? Yes. I didn't know that. I do yep. like that. Um, that Making Waves offers teen lessons. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to get them comfortable in the beginning and kind of break down that social anxiety barrier that so many teens have it's like oh well I'm not going to be the oldest I'm not going to be the youngest I'm going to be fit right in the middle which exactly. is exactly that's cool. um which is which is a great program I love it but uh back on track you also if you're the parent of a child that you think their swimming ability is okay and then you send them to a pool party you never you never want to be uncomfortable with your child's ability to swim because you might not be thinking about the what ifs and what could happen, um, but you never want to experience the uh, the realities of the dangers of water. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the most of those parties aren't lifeguarded. No, most so of them are most dedicated to watching these kids and their safety. Right, and most parents are just sitting around the pool or sitting around the table yeah. beside the pool talking to each other mm-hmm. on their phones talking to each other 
not paying attention, glancing over at the water every once in a while. But there are um, a few programs that have like little keychains around saying I'm the designated water watcher. So as I'm wearing this uh, um, keychain or lanyard, I am the designated water watcher. Um, and then I pass it off when I don't want to wash the water anymore. And then someone else is the designated water watcher. A lot of swim schools and a lot of municipalities um, and programs do uh, not offer, it's not a program, but have this um, water safety tool for parents, which is really cool. But with those backyard pool parties, like hire a lifeguard for a night, guys, like because there's nothing more important than your children's lives and then your lives. Wow, this has been fun. We've covered so many different topics and I, I know. know we were going to just talk about solo guarding, but I like have really enjoyed all of the different ways that this has spinned out. Yeah. And I think it can all kind of come back to the idea um, that solo guarding is a huge task, but also a manageable task. You have your customer service, your safety, your prevention, um, just like your scanning and then your pool operation. And it's, it sounds like a huge job, but at the end of the day, it's all manageable and something you just kind of work at being better at. Um, you learn how long you can be in the sun without getting burnt. You learn how much water <laughs> you need to bring to your shift because you're the only guard there and you can't swap with somebody to go run and grab a drink of water, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a loaded job, but one that's definitely worth experiencing. Like, even if you only solo mm -hmm. guard for a summer, you learn so much about being a lifeguard when all of the responsibility... Well, I had a lot of fun today talking to you about water safety and solo guarding. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. So as I said, we had some really great conversations and I am so inspired right now. Um, and I hope you all are inspired as well. So again, if you like my podcast and my blog, please like and subscribe and share my page with all of your friends and family so we can get the word out there and advocate about water safety together. Thanks, guys. <laughs>